Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A reading from the, pro- from the book of the prophet Joel. Fear not, earth, be glad and celebrate. God has done great things. Fear not, wild animals. The field and meadows are greening up. The trees are bearing fruit again, a bumper crop of fig trees and vines. Children of Zion, celebrate. Be glad in your God. He's giving you a teacher to train you how to live right. Teaching like the rain out of heaven, showers of words to refresh and nourish your soul, just as he used to do. And plenty of food for your body, silos full of grain, casks of wine and barrels of olive oil. I'll make it for the years of the locust, the great locust devastation. Locust savage, locust deadly, fierce locust, locust of doom. That great locust invasion I sent your way. You'll eat your fill of good food. You'll be full of praises to your God. The God who has set you back on your heels in wonder. Never again will my people be despised. You'll know without question that I'm in the thick of life with Israel. That I'm your God. Yes, your God. The one and only real God. Never again will my people be despised. I will pour out my spirit on every kind of person. Your sons will prophesy and your daughters. Your old men will dream. Your young men will see visions. I'll even pour out my spirit on the slaves men and women both. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the judgment day of God, the day tremendous and awesome. Whoever calls help God gets help. On Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be a great rescue, just as God said. Included in the survivors are those that God calls. So we've been going through the Gospel of Luke the last several weeks, and now we make a shift to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Scriptures, to the prophet Joel. When Jesus went to synagogue, of course, what we call the Old Testament, he would have called Scripture. And the Scriptures were written not on leaves of books, but on big, long sheets of paper and rolled up as scrolls. And each book was on a separate scroll. So Genesis had a scroll, and Exodus, Leviticus had its very own scroll, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, those five were called the Torah. And there were other scrolls, the books of, of Kings and Samuel, Two scrolls, Samuel had two scrolls, so there was 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Kings had two scrolls, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. The Psalms, the hymn book um, of the ancient uh, faithful. And then there were the writings of the prophets. The prophets rose up after Exodus, when the people had been brought out of slavery from Egypt, and God had made covenant with them. And then there were prophets. And, there were, and the prophets wrote between then and about one or two hundred years before Jesus. Some of those, 
those writings like Isaiah, that's a whole scroll. Jeremiah was a whole scroll. Some of the prophetic writings were much shorter. So they actually gathered 12 of them together and put them on one scroll. And one of them was the prophet Joel, only three chapters. And Joel was on that scroll with 11 other prophets. All the prophetic writings follow a similar pattern with a similar goal. And the goal is to call people back to God because they needed to be called back. God had made a covenant with the people. When they were, when they were brought out of slavery and, God, and the people had been chosen by God, but they were failing. They were not living up to the covenant. They were worshiping idols. They were putting their ultimate trust in something that was not God. They weren't following God's commands. They weren't keeping the Sabbath holy. They weren't caring for the widow and the orphan and the alien. They were not honoring their parents. And so the prophets, they name it. They point out where this is leading. In parenting, we call that natural consequences. And then they give this vision of, but this is what life is like with God. Come back and be with God. And so they name it, God has been faithful, but people have not. And the consequence, that natural consequence, is that God will discipline the people. And God will discipline the people by withholding God's protection. Israel was a small, truly insignificant nation surrounded by empires. And they would get to thinking, I don't need God anymore. We are doing fabulous keeping those armies out because we've got a good military and we're so smart. And then God would remove God's protection and they'd go, oh, it wasn't us after all. That protection, that was God. And that withdrawal of protection, it was for discipline, not damnation. Discipline is about bringing about a change, not getting rid of people. And so God's discipline is about training, coaching, growing, learning. So without God's protection, armies will come, droughts will come, and then crops don't grow. Locusts will come, and they eat everything in sight. That's life without God. That's that natural consequence. You want to reject God? This is what it looks like. Now let's talk about life with God. And Joel gives us this beautiful vision of the young and the old, sons and daughters, even slaves. Now there's much about the lifestyle of folks 3,000 years ago that is different than ours. When a drought hits us, most of us, we're going to feel the effect because prices go up. We're not going to starve. No one's children will die from malnourishment. If a locust swarm comes, you know, and locusts are those grasshoppers that get in huge swarms, and they're so huge and thick, they actually darken the sky, and they eat everything. 
Well, in our world, what that means is the insurance company is going to get a big hit. But no one's going hungry. So that's the difference. In other ways, I think we have some real similarity with those ancient people of God. That we have the same temptation to avoid God and focus on me. I recently came across a 21st century Ten Commandments. And this is what it says. Practice loyalty to the sacred. Remember that every image of God is only a glimpse. Do not use God's name to do harm. Do not allow productivity to dominate your life. Care for those who have cared for you. Do not be unnecessarily destructive. Be faithful to the commitments you have made. Do not take what does not belong to you. Do not hinder justice from coming to fruition. Do not use power over others to get what you want. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty condemned. They are a reminder of the 21st century ways that we are called to live and fall short of the mark. If you're interested, we have copies of those at the back table if you want to pick those up. I have been reading them and coming back to them and finding them helpful in my own spiritual life because we still want to put our ultimate trust in money or power or pretty much anything other than God. We treat the Sabbath day like any other shopping or working day. We avoid caring for those who have cared for us. We bring destruction on the earth with our waste and our consumerism. And we avoid commitment. And we avoid faithfulness to commitment. But God remains faithful. God remains faithful. And speaking for God, the prophet Joel tells us, I am your God, yes, your God, the one and only real God. Joel saw a vision of life with God where the fields and the pastures were greening up. That means the rains have come. where the trees are full of a bumper crop of fruit, where pantries are full and the food is good. And there had been hard times. A locust swarm had come. And God says, I will make up for those hard times. There will be plenty of food for everyone, the rich and the poor. And the people will know that God is right there in the thick of it with them. I am your God, yes, your God, the one and only real God. And then God will pour out God's spirit on everyone. Not just kings and prophets, but everyone. Sons and daughters, old and young, even slaves. And if anyone had a right to think that God was punishing them, it was a slave. God's pouring out God's spirit on slaves. 
And to be sure that we know this is the same God that made the covenant, God, there, there will be blood, like remember on the lintel and the doorpost of the Passover, and there will, be, there will be fire and billowing smoke like the pillars that led people out of slavery, out of Egypt. Even the sky will change and the sun will be darkened. Who saw the sun darken, however many years ago that was, as a solar eclipse went over us? And the moon will change. I am your God. Yes, your God. The one and only real God. And in that day, who gets to call on God? Who gets to rely on God's help? Is it only Israel? Is it only the baptized? Is it only Methodists? Is it only those who are perfect and good? Is it only those who are sure about God? Nope. It's everybody. It's everybody who says, help God. That is all that is required. Help God. And God helps. This vision of life with God was so important that centuries later, Peter would quote it. In his very first speech in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, at Pentecost about salvation. He says salvation is here and then he quotes the prophet Joel and gives that vision. It's in Jerusalem, it's just after the resurrection and Peter was saying look around, it's happening. Your sons and your daughters are prophesying. Your old people and young people are seeing visions because people had just spoken, praised God in all the different languages. Peter says, look, salvation has come. And to be clear, this salvation, he wasn't talking about an afterlife. He was talking about this life. Salvation that transforms this life. I am your God. Yes, your God. The one and only real God. Real God. In Joel's time, nobody wondered whether or not God was real. That was not the question. The question was, which of all of these gods should I follow? Joel said something new. The one and only real God. He said all those other gods, those are illusions. And then Joel named evidence. For God, things that are real have evidence. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old and your young will have visions. And Peter named, look around. There is evidence here of salvation, of real God. What evidence do you see today of God? Real things are observable, which means there is evidence. I was recently talking to my son Xavier about quantum mechanics, you know, as you do. <laughs> and we were talking about, you know, quantum mechanics is that understanding of how subatomic particles work, things that we can't see, but that people have seen the effects of. And one of the fundamentals of quantum mechanics is that both light and particles behave 
I'm sorry, both light and matter have characteristics of waves and particles. Now they're so small, you can't see it, but we can see the evidence. And he was telling me about the double slit experiment, where if you take two slits and you shine light through it, you'd expect to see two lines of light. What you actually see is a whole spectrum of light and dark, it's brighter in the center and dimmer at the, it fades to the out. And that is light um, going through two slots and the waves coming out and interacting. And those points where they, they come together making the bright spots and where they cancel each other out the dark spots. And they've actually done this shining or, you know, blasting subatomic particles through two slits and see the exact same spectrum. Now this has been going on for all time. For all time, light and particles have been demonstrating characteristics of waves and light and matter, of waves and particles. It was a long time before we noticed this evidence of these subatomic particles. The evidence had always been there, whether we saw it or not. And so what is this evidence that we see today of God. Subatomic particles are not something that you can just point to and say, see, there, there, there they are, like God. And yet, there is real evidence. And so think about what is your double slit experiment for God? Is it a vision that you have had? Is it a miracle that you have experienced? Is it, is it the universality of ethics that all people everywhere have this inherent knowledge of right and wrong even when they have not been taught? Is it the capacity for powerless people to overturn unjust circumstances which we saw in the American Civil Rights Movement and we are watching, I think, in going on in Iran right now. Is it the transformative power of forgiveness? It was several years ago a teenager was being sentenced. He had shot a police officer in the face. The cop had come to the door, knocked on the door. The kid had a gun. He opened the door and shot him right in the face. And amazingly, the police officer lived. It comes time for his sentencing. And this police officer was married with young children, permanently disabled. I mean, he lived, but it's never going to be. It was, not, it was a very different life. And at his sentencing... The police officer's wife goes over to this teenager and takes him by the hand. I think this was in Washington. And says, these are the hands that held the gun and pulled the trigger that shot my husband. And then she said, God can do good things through these hands.
That is a transformative power of forgiveness. What is your double-slit experiment, your evidence for God, for the one and only real God? Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crosswaite. CUNA United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.